On today's Locked on Thunder podcast, let's dive into Paulo Bancaro's NBA draft profile and projection, giving you all you need to know about a possible Thunder pick in the 2022 NBA draft. What does Paulo Bancaro do right? What does he do wrong? And what's his floor and ceiling as it fits with the current Thunder team as they try to complete this rebuild? All of this and more coming up on today's Locked on Thunder podcast on the Locked on Podcast Network, your teams every day. You are Locked On Thunder, your daily Oklahoma City Thunder podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's get it going on the Locked On Thunder Podcast, on the Locked On Podcast Network, your teams every day. I am your host, media member, editor-in-chief over at thundersintentions.com, Ryland Styles. You can follow me over on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. Follow the show on Twitter at LOThunderPod. Email the show, LOThunderPod at gmail.com. On today's show, we have another 2022 NBA draft profile and projection, giving you all you need to know about a possible Thunder prospect. Today's prospect is Paolo Bencaro out of Duke and how he lines up with the Oklahoma City Thunder. So after this podcast is over, we'll have reviewed Chet Holmgren with Mavs Draft on Twitter. Richard Stamen will have reviewed Jabari Smith and now Paolo Bencaro. So the top three profiles have been done. You can go back and listen to all of them and then see who you think would be the best fit for the Thunder if they get that lottery luck needed in the NBA draft. With no clear-cut number one, it makes things very interesting. Thank you for making Lockdown Thunder your first listen every single morning, every single day. We're here for you, talking Thunder basketball. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast from, including on YouTube. And now let's dive into Paul Van Carroll, who stands 6'10, coming in at 250, 19 years old out of Duke. Look, Paul Van Carroll is a very mature player. Seems like he's mature on and off the court, but as far as on the court goes, He's a very mature player. He's not often rushed. He's not often caught like a deer in the headlights. And he has star potential to fit the modern NBA. And so that's what there is to love about Paulo Bencaro. While there is no clear-cut number one option, it doesn't mean that these guys don't have star power. Because I think that all three of these guys, Chet Holmgren, Paulo Bencaro, and Jabari Smith, in their own way, has a star-level ceiling. It's just a matter of if you can get them there. And if you're a program like the Thunder that has such a strong track record of development and has such a good nucleus in place as a franchise, you have to feel comfortable with them, whoever they end up drafting, producing them to their ceiling or close to it. Obviously, it's very hard for any player to reach their ceiling. But Paulo Bencaro is one of the more interesting prospects in this draft for the Thunder if they can get that lottery luck because he is a simply three-level scorer. He can do it in the post with his frame. He can do it off ball as a relocator and cutter with his athleticism and also can score on ball and create for himself. He can spot up, shoot, shoot off the dribble. He can do anything you need him to do on that end of the floor. And, and I truly believe in his three-point upside. You might be looking at his three-point shot right now, you know, saying 32%. Maybe that's not a three-level score right now, but I believe he has that three-point upside to bring his game along. And so that's why I feel comfortable saying he's a three-level score because I think that that three ball will come. I think as you get put in a scenario in the NBA where you get better spacing, where you get better teammates, not that you're lacking at the teammates at Duke, right? That's kind of the best case scenario in college almost is Duke University. Uh, but 
again, the college game, the pacing, the spacing, the gravity of college, it all is different than the NBA and also lends to poor shooting outputs. So I think that shooting is something that, well, uh, if you have the stroke, if you have other intangibles like your free throw percentage, it can translate to better uh, to to a more obvious improvement at the NBA level. So I'm very interested to see how he looks as a shooter because whenever you look at his shot, the baseline of his jumper, it does not need a whole lot of tweaks or overhauls to make him a good shooter, right? Josh Giddy has to rework his entire jump shot. That's no sh- that's no shot on Josh Giddy. It's going to be easily done, but you're not starting at that point with Paul Bancaro. You're starting at a better baseline. Also, he has the confidence to take the jump shot in games in crucial moments, so he's not lacking the confidence to try new things and to get that shot off in the meantime. Plus, it seems as though, now this is where it becomes a bit of speculation as of right now because we haven't gotten to talk to the Thunder yet about Paul Bancaro and what they heard from him in the pre-draft process or kind of we haven't gotten that behind-the-scenes look yet talking to agents and scouts. It's not that time yet. It's not the combine or after some private workouts, but it seems as though Paul Bancaro has a strong work ethic. So you combined all those things with the idea that he's going to be heading to the Thunder in this scenario, and you have to feel very confident in his ability to translate his three-point shot and his jump shot. Really good ball handler at his size. And here, again, we're looking at these strengths from, the, from a Thunder point of view. He's a good ball handler for his size. There's no doubt about that, and that is universal. I think his ball handling improves just by the sheer fact that you're not going to ask him to do it too often, right? I think if he goes to a spot where he's half, where he's having to drive the offense fully 100% of the time like he did in college, then it starts to suffer in the NBA. But in this hypothetical scenario, if he's in this Thunder system and he's now the third lead ball handler, well, then his ball handling is just an icing on the cake plus, right? And it just is a, another weapon for you to use more so than your driving force that you build around. And so I think that, that landing a spot like this can really allow him to seem like a better ball handler than he truly is because you're not asking him to do too much. He's going to be in that third kind of ball handling role. And as I said before, even in college where you know, you're the big man on campus, you're the big recruit, you're the, you're the highest rated prospect, right? Even in that setting, he was comfortable playing off ball, which is a big quality the Thunder will probably need to look for whenever you're considering the fact that you feel very confident in your two playmakers and ball handlers being Josh Giddy and SGA primarily. Obviously in the smart NBA, you need you know, more ball handlers, the better, so to say, but you also need it to work cohesively and, and with chemistry and Paul Bancaro being a good ball handler that will play off ball primarily is a ideal fit in my opinion for a team like the Thunder. I think he's a really good passer. I think that again, don't just take his college tape at face value. Try to tra- try to translate his negative plays into, well, would that have happened with better NBA spacing, with better NBA teammates, with a better NBA rhythm? A lot of these passes where he gets caught in a black hole, so to say, which we're going to talk about coming up, but a lot of the black hole tags on him is just a product of the environment in college. He's actually a really good passer to keep an offense in rhythm and to create for others, but also just create flow which again, you lack a lot in college. He reacts to the defense very well, in my opinion. And the question being, will he have that gravity in the NBA to draw defenders to him and create for others? And that's not a bad thing if he doesn't right off the gate. Right out of the gate, if he does not have that gravity and he's no longer having to make these decisions with the ball in his hands and he's left open because, well, I've got to worry about SGA. I've got to worry about Josh Giddy. I've got to worry about Lou Dor, a more, a more proven three-point shooter at this point in his NBA career than Paul Bencaro. If he gets pushed down that scouting report and you're not gearing your defense to rotate over to him as soon as he gets the ball, 
well, then that just makes his life even easier as a score. So either way, you can keep an offense in rhythm as a passer. And if you do not rotate over to him and, and force him to make a decision, he can burn you as a score. And that is the big deal with Paul Bancaro. But I think that his scoring upside is truly there. Jabari Smith, he's my number one with a bullet. But again, you could see him being just a three and D type of guy. With Paul Bancaro, you can see him becoming a number one score in the NBA. I think defensively, he has a beefy enough frame to where he can defend one through five at a plus level with elite potential to lock in. He did have a problem with locking in defensively in college. And you know that I like to overlook that in the college game, because I think that once you've reached the, the you know, hierarchy of the, of the NBA quality game and your, and your lifelong dream of the NBA, it's easier to lock in, especially as a younger player. He's also a really good team defender on that defensive end. You know, we're talking about the weaknesses coming up, but that defensive end is a really good team defender, a good rotator plays the passing lanes well off ball, just fills his role properly on the end of the floor, which the thunder desperately need. If they're going to roll out lineups of SGA, Dort, Giddy, and Carroll, Jerry, those type of lineups where you have Giddy playing the three and, you know, Lou Dort playing the two. And of course, Lou Dort's an elite defender with SGA as well. You're going to have to play a team brand of defense. Because not many of those guys you trust on an island besides Lou Dort. And so it takes a village to get stops on the end of the floor, especially if you're going to still be undersized and have a guy like Jerry as your center, which we don't know what the center position looks like for the Thunder in the future. But in this hypothetical, if that's your lineup, it's going to take a team defensive scheme, which Mark's very good at drawing up, to have success on the end of the floor. And the fact that that Pauline Carroll can kind of shift into that easily and groove with that easily is a big deal. The last strength to me, as we've rattled off a lot of them here, the last strength to me is one that I don't often like throwing around. I think it's very hokey. And I know that in this modern way of looking at sports, right? Ever since Moneyball, we've tried to do away with this part of the game. But there's just an intangible about him. There's just a clutch gene about Paul Carroll winking at the camera before uh, the potential go-ahead shot, right? In, the, in, in March Madness, in the biggest stage you've been on in your entire life. There's a calmness, a matureness. To where when you watch Matt Duke, no matter the scenario, losing big, winning big, close game that you didn't expect to be close, whatever the scenario was, close game against your rival, close game on, in March Madness, whatever the scenario was, he was even keel and he was under control. He never was frantic. And to have that at 19 and then be placed in a culture that breeds really good quality players and cerebral players that we've seen in Oklahoma city. There's not very many dumb mistakes that thunder players make. You don't often watch games that the thunder play in even this year and last year, whenever they were losing a lot. And if the games are on national television, right? Obviously you don't get any, any national television games, but remember after the T was blew that, that lead that they're not on TNT. If you were watching the playoffs and Chuck came back uh, from break and said, that's just a dumb team in Minnesota. That's just a dumb team that can't close out games. Was that harsh? Yes. However, what, what, what the point is here is that the thunder culture and developmental system is not just that of basketball players, but also cerebral thinkers on the floor to where they don't make dumb mistakes. Even as young and as inexperienced as they are, and even though they lack talent in a lot of matchups and a lot of games, they don't make just flat-out stupid mistakes. And so that fits as well with what the Thunder are trying to build here. The fact that he's so cool under pressure and is able to make smart decisions with the ball in his hands, with the ball out of his hands, and also just be steady Eddie whenever things get high and expectations ramping up. Because for this to work, right, you have a five-year window with SGA and his max deal. His max deal is kicking in this year. You have a five-year window with him. 
I hope SGA retires in Oklahoma City. I really do. I think that he is a very fun player to watch. He's one of my favorite players to watch in the Nathan uniform. It's just a pure entertainment value of, of what to watch for with, with SGA. I hope he stays here forever. But it's the modern NBA, and you cannot bank on that. All you can bank on is that you have five years of control over SGA where you have no opt-outs. So when you think of that time frame, this next season, you're probably not going to be any good, right? You're, you're likely gearing up to be pushing for 2023. So then you have 2023, that season and beyond to really get it done and really hit it big with SGA as your nucleus and SGA as your core focus. Hopefully he stays longer, but that's all that you're guaranteed. And so if you're going to start in 2023, whenever Paulo Bencaro is 21 years old, it's very important that your number two option, your number two score in Paulo Bencaro is mature and able to handle that and able to handle life in the NBA as a number two option, both physically, mentally, emotionally, everything that goes into it. So that's where I think it is important to note that about Paul Bencaro, about how even he is and quote unquote clutch gene. If you want to put it simply, right? The clutch gene the factor of not getting nervous or sped up. That's what I really like to see in his game on top of all those other strengths. We're going to talk about the weaknesses though, coming up and also where his range is on big boards and how he fits in with the thunder. Plus his floor and ceiling as an NBA player. But first let's say right now, our good friends over at that online folks, but online is your number one source for all betting stats and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, league news, and reviews, including this year's basketball playoffs and, folks, and the start of the Major League Baseball season. Bet Online is your continued source for all sports wagering info, from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. So go right now to their website and use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet Online's where the game starts, and folks, it's so easy. Open up that tab on Google Chrome. Type in betonline.net, load up their sports book. Let's go to basketball, NBA games, NBA basketball games. Here we go. Mavericks and Jazz. Mavs a one-point underdog on the road to close out the series. Give me the Mavs plus one tonight to end that series in Utah. Who are you going to bet with? Let me know in the comment section below, but go check out today, betonline.net. We are back on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast, on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your teams every day. I'm your host, Rylan Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore Styles. Follow the show on Twitter at Lockdown Royals. I should say Hello Thunder Pod. You could go follow Lockdown Royals as well if you want to, but Hello Thunder Pod is where you'll find this show. For your next listen, go check out the Lockdown Now podcast, a nightly recap show of every big game from the night before with breakdowns from our local experts. That's free and available wherever you get your podcast from, including on the Lockdown NBA YouTube page. So, we're now talking back about Paul Carroll. And after we hype him up, let's give you his weaknesses. The first one with the bullet is bad defensive effort at times. Lackadaisical defensive effort at times. To me, this is very explainable. You look at what he looks like whenever he is fully engaged on the defensive end. And that's what you grade him on. Because you have to trust that whoever drafts him will bring this up. We'll have the conversations about it in their pre-draft interviews and workouts and in private settings with him exclusively. And they'll trust that that was just a college flaw. Look, it's easy to get complacent in a 30-game college season when you're playing Georgia Tech on the road and you're just biding time until you're in the NBA. It's easy, especially whenever you know you're a top three prospect. 
There's not many doubts about that with Paul Carroll. So I don't blame him for lacking effort at times. And the brightest stars in the NBA lack effort at times defensively in an 82-game season. But do you trust that when the lights are on and when the Thunder have to win a game, whether it's to get to the playoffs or whenever they're in their playoffs or to win a series or whatever the case is, when the lights are the brightest and you have to win a game, do you trust that he can lock in on the end of the floor for 48 minutes, go do his job, and help you get a win on both ends of the floor? I do. I do. And so bad defensive effort at times is just a product of the beast nowadays. That's just how basketball is played nowadays. And to a certain extent, how it's always been played, but, but specifically in this modern era. He also had bad shot selection at times. He, he kind of turned into a black hole where it felt like he took everything on his own shoulders to go make something happen for his team. You take that back a sec. Now you're playing with an elite playmaker in Josh Giddy. You're playing with an elite ISO scorer in SGA. You can go get his own bucket. It becomes easier and easier to trust the guys around you. And again, it's not that great of an excuse anymore whenever you're talking about a Duke prospect. But, you know, and a Duke prospect who has, a, who has you know, three or four teammates in my top 30 right now, you know, top 35, however you want to look at it, we'll, we'll do my big board tomorrow. But still, I think that that shot selection can get pushed to the side a bit as you enter the NBA game. The one thing I am concerned about translating in a bad way to the NBA is his rim scoring. He obviously prefers to go right. It's more comfortable. I also don't, I don't really know how he will translate in terms of taking contact at the rim at the NBA level. And once the book's out on him, can you force him left and can he adapt? The Thunder are no strangers to taking guys who struggle to finish at the rim. Lou Dort struggled. Dale Malbon struggles. Josh Giddy struggles, even with his great floater, struggles at the rim. And you're hoping that they can reverse course on that for those players, especially Dort and Giddy. But I do wonder about that. That's kind of my, my pause when it comes to the future of Paul Bencaro. Now, to be fair, another weakness would be a shot. Personally, I'm buying into his ability to become better than a 32% shooter from deep. But I would understand skepticism. I would understand while his free throw percentage does not blow you away, right? 72% from the line does not blow you away. It's good, but it doesn't blow you away. And if you didn't know, NBA scouts, executives, Sam Presti, they look at free throw percentage to kind of gauge how can your three-point shot and how can your shooting touch translate to the next level. Go look at Ludwig's three-point shot at Arizona and then compare it to his free throw percentage and see how you could tell then he had more touch to his shot than he showed from beyond the arc. I would understand skepticism about a shot, but for the reasons I laid out last segment, I, I'm buying into it. But if you're not buying into it, I would I would not begrudge you to add it to the list for a fourth flaw of his. And he scored 17 points per game, seven rebounds per game, three assists per game, Shot 32% from three, 70% from the free throw line. Defensively, while we talked about his lack of defensive effort, for a top-tier prospect, he ranks 63rd percentile in the country defensively, allowing 0.796 points per possession in the regular season. And that's with taking possessions off. So it shows you that length, that frame, that bulkiness that he has to guard one through five. And that's what you have to have in the modern NBA. You have to be versatile. You have to be tough and size up and size down in the NBA. If you get him engaged on the defensive end, he's going to be very, very good. His availability across the board, 
The Ringer is actually the only place that has him number one. ESPN at two, The Athletic at two, Bleacher Report at three, CBS, NBC, DraftNet, and Tankathon at three. And then my big board, he's at two. And then Mavs Draft's big board, Richard Stamen, who's on our show every week, has him at two as well. So I got him at two, Richard has him at two, uh, and then everyone else is at three besides me, Richard, and ESPN. And then the ringer's at one. So that's his kind of range in this draft. And we knew it's a three-player draft. And my personal number one is Jabari Smith. So I've given you now my top three prospects. We started on Monday with Jabari Smith, then shifted into Chet Holmgren. Then today, Paul Bancaro. You have my top three profiles. You can go back and listen to all of them and figure out who your top prospect is. Still to come, though, what is Paul Bancaro's floor and ceiling? What's his NBA comp? And how does he fit with the Oklahoma City Thunder? Plus our schedule for the rest of the week. All coming up on Lockdown Thunder. But first, I want to tell you right now, better good friends over at Rock Auto. RockAuto.com is an amazing website, folks. They're the best in the business. They've been serving auto parts online for 20 years. That's right, 20 years ago. You could have been going to RockAuto.com and finding all the parts your car need. My favorite part about RockAuto.com is that I know nothing about cars, not a single thing about cars. But I don't have to know anything about cars. All I got to know is my make, my model, my year, and they're only going to show me car parts that are compatible with my vehicle. That way, I'm not wasting time, effort, nor money on parts I cannot use or parts I do not need, folks. And they're not going to upcharge me just because I'm a beginner and don't know what I'm talking about. They're going to give me that same reliably low price that they give everybody else. So go to rockauto.com, tell them Lockdown sent you, and how did you hear about this box? And then we'll do from there, rockauto.com, amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts you probably need, rockauto.com. We are back on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast, on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your teams every day. Thank you for making Lockdown Thunder your first listen every single morning, every single day, we're here for you. For your second listen, check out Locked on NBA from jump ball to play into the NBA finals. We're going to take you deeper inside the playoffs than you've ever been before, including offseason content from all 30 teams. So over there, Fighters Week, Locked on NBA National. Over here, Fighters Week, Locked on NBA Thunder, specifically. Uh, now let's continue on with our Paulo Caro hype train, prospect profile, uh, and projection of his career. Ceiling and floor. One of my favorites of the, of the draft. His ceiling is a primary score that is just a star and leads a franchise with the right pieces around him as a number one option. Richard on, on Tuesday said he has the best scoring potential in the class. His floor to me, not much of a floor, folks. His floor to me, secondary score, which contributes as a 2B type of player his entire career. That sounds more like what the Thunder are going to ask him to do if they draft him. Now, KOC's NBA compromise is Julius Randle, uh, so take that for what it's worth. But diving into his specific Thunder role, a second scoring option next to SGA sounds wonderful. With Josh Giddy setting everything up and playmaking, look, this is the NBA. Whenever you reach your goal of getting back to the playoffs, it's going to change into a half-court setting offense. Right? You're going to be in the half-court set way more often. And you're going to need more than one guy who can create their own shot who can create their own offense. Look up and down this list right now. Look up and down this roster. Who on this team besides SGA can create his own offense in a playoff caliber environment when you're in the half court? Not who can knock on a shot. Not who can get set up by Josh Giddy. Who can do it themselves and go get a bucket? And so getting a guy like that 
takes an attention grabber on the defense, right? You line up the other team's defense, their best defender, still going to be on Shea. Their second best defender, going to go on Paolo because he can score at a high clip. Then you're left with the third defender going on Josh Giddy, who, oh, by the way, is an elite playmaker, an elite rebounder, who can get you more possessions, who can dish it out and set those two guys up for success and combat your two top dog defenders on those two guys. To me, that sounds like a recipe for success. And the fact that Paulo Carroll can create his own shot and get his own bucket while not ball hogging and, and being a true ball stopper in isolation is a big deal as well. How fluidly he could play off of Josh Giddy is very important. But another important aspect is when it comes crunch time, he can go get his shot and go get a bucket for you. You need a lot of playmakers, but you also need a lot of bucket getters. He's one of them. And for a franchise, franchise like this, who would bring him in to be a second bucket getter, that's an even better luxury. Now, do I think that he, you know, comparing him to Jalen Green, I know they play different positions, but if you listen to this show last year, you know that last year, I was all over Jalen Green. I tried so hard to move him up to number one on my big board, but I felt like I was taking crazy pills, and so I kept him at two. And you know that my tagline with Jalen Green all last year, the entire process, was that he will have multiple scoring championships in the bag. And it's all said and done. Do I think Paul Curl is that type of score? No. I don't think he's going to have multiple scoring titles. But do I think he can be a difference maker, a bucket getter, and a number two option for a team that wins a championship? I absolutely do. Absolutely do. So I have him at number two. He's climbed over Chet to me because it just feels more realistic, the pathway to hit his ceiling and to make him a guy who you win championships with. It feels a little bit more realistic than Chet at three. Rotational fit, obviously, is a starter right away. Roster impact. Look, you draft a guy like Paulo Banquero and a player like Darius Baisley, who you know I love. If you listen to the show before, you know I love Darius Baisley. He's entering his final year of his deal. Didn't get the vibe at the end of the year press conference from Sam, from, from Sam Presti that, that an extension is going to be coming in the offseason. And you know how Sam Presti treats lame duck years. you got to watch your back if, if you bring in a guy like Ben Carroll if you're, if you're Darius Baisley. Why the Thunder should take Paul Ben Carroll? Again, to win and succeed in the playoffs, you need another guy who can get his own shot, he can get his own bucket, and can create by himself. Josh Giddy, love him. Elite playmaker, elite rebounder and can do things that will make you win championships as well. But until he gets that jump shot to come around, which I think he will, I believe in a jump shot wholeheartedly, until he improves with the rim scoring, I find it hard to believe that he'll drive his own offense. Now that floater, and with a big man who can off that floater catch a lob, that opens up his offensive game as well. But it's not one or the other. You have all three. You have all three. And that's what would be so wonderful about this combination. Paul Bancaro's ability to just be a true score and a versatile defender is how you win championships. And why the Thunder shouldn't take him. This, this topic right here will get way more interesting down the line, like, like next episode when we talk about Jaden Ivey. But for the top three, it's the same across the board. The only reason you pass one of these guys is because you like somebody else better in the top three. It's a boring answer. It's a very boring answer. But that's how close they are, one through three. Now, personally for me, it's Jabari Smith with a bullet, Paul Bencaro underneath him, 
take a breath, Chet Holmgren. So if you had the pick of the three, I'd go Jabari Smith. And a pick of the two, I'd go Paul Bengiro. If you're left with Chet Holmgren, I'm still very, very happy. I'm still dancing in the streets. And trust me, you do not want to see me dance. But that's where I'm at in this draft. I've given you all three of the top NBA prospects. Go back and listen to all of them if you haven't already. And then tell me below, who is your favorite? Who is number one for you? Because tomorrow, to close out the week on Friday, we're going to have my NBA draft big board, top 30, 1.0, giving it to you here on the podcast, top 30. Come back on Monday because we're going to have a Jaden Ivey prospect profile projection. On Tuesday, we're going to have Mavs draft for Richard Stamen join the podcast, as he does every single week, and break down Shaden Sharp, a prospect profile. He's been digging into his high school film for a long time to create his own scattering report. And he's going to give us the lowdown on one of my favorite prospects, Shaden Sharp. Wednesday, a lot to do Wednesday. Tankathon spins to see how those scenarios play out. Draft stock watch plus an offseason preview as a whole for the Thunder. Thursday, Keegan Murray, NBA draft profile and projection. Friday, going to give you another big board episode, but this time my second round big board. A lot of fun stuff there on Friday as well. So you do not want to miss any of that. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe to Lockdown Thunder. Leave a like, leave a comment on YouTube. Follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore styles. It's all free. It's all available for you. Anywhere you get your podcast from, anywhere you get Twitter from, go follow me over there. And until tomorrow, folks, be good and be good to one another.